What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Pretty big game on Sunday afternoon here in Kansas City against the Buffalo Bills. So we've got plenty to discuss from this week. We're going to start things off with Out of Structure. They broke down the Chiefs' Monday night win over the Raiders. Everything you need to know to get you prepared for how they're set up against the Buffalo Bills. After that, it's a great British Chiefs show. They've got our first deep dive Bills preview of the week. We'll follow them up with Chiefs Coast to Coast, also discussing this massive Sunday matchup against the Buffalo Bills. After that, it's going to be Show and BK discussing what the Chiefs need to do when they have the ball against this Bills team. And then this week, we're going to change things up. We'll wrap up the show after we take a quick timeout with the Arrowhead Pride interview series. Pete Sweeney sat down with one Bills live host, Chris Brown, to break down every aspect of this game. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Yeah, and and you know the thing is, it, it was playoff Jarek. It was it was the guy that we all got excited about in the playoffs because he looked like this perfect blend. And I tweeted this last night, but this perfect blend of the shiftiness you want in your running backs, right? The, the guy that can kind of make a dude miss or just kind of move side to side pretty quickly, but also a good combination of that and the downhill explosiveness, right? I think that was why we liked McKinnon in the playoffs last year, and that's what you saw on that thirty yard run, on the nine yard run, uh, you know, right after that. And you know what I liked about it too was was it really it, it really took advantage of, of what we saw was really the flaw of the Chiefs uh, you know offense right out the gate was you know the uh, protecting Mahomes or I, I guess I should say you know uh, defending the edge rushers on the edge uh, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones um, you know that play took advantage the 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 two plays went right at Chandler Jones on that on those plays and uh, get, you know got two big chunk runs out of it so that was kind of the thing I liked about it too was it, it kind of set the tone like look you know you guys have been beating us so far this game you know let's run right at them let's kind of you know maybe settle you down a little bit make you worry about the run a little more and all of a sudden from that point on it did the edge rushers didn't seem to have that much of a presence in the game as they did those first three or four drives speaking of edge rushers i thought it was almost a great game for uh some of the chiefs pass rushers like george Karloftis and, and frank clark uh, both met at the quarterback. George got his first half sack of his NFL career. Yeah, and he had some other pressures as well. And and Derek Carr tried, but failed to be Patrick Mahomes under pressure. Mm-hmm. Whenever George was was chasing him down, there was a couple of plays where he tried to make something happen, tried to fling the ball out there, and there was just absolutely nobody home. wasn't anywhere near a receiver. So I thought Carlotta's had a pretty good game. Uh, really, just making the quarterback uncomfortable forced some ugly throws and, and uh, uh, you know, was, was active there. It wasn't a, it was almost a big game. He almost had a couple of uh, a couple of other sacks, but uh, Hey, he, he got on the board and uh, was part of the reason that the, that car was, was not as comfortable as he could have been. 
Well, the pass rush in general, general had a, had its moments, right? It had its, its, its plays where it really made huge impacts. Um, obviously, that play you just mentioned, Frank Clark and Karloftis getting to the quarterback early in the game kind of set the Raiders behind the sticks. And then also, you know, I, I mentioned it off the top, but, you know, I, Spags really dialed it up on that one third down late in the first half and gets Chris Jones beating the right tackle on an edge rush, getting to, to getting the car and forcing the fumble. And then there's the roughing the passer penalty, which is just, you know, mind numbing that they're calling that, you know, an egregious call. Um, after, even after we're seeing the Brady, Grady, Jarrett situation, um, you know, from from earlier this week. But, you know, we, we saw Carl Cheffers, you know, re- reference the body weight part of it. And, and, and we've 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 heard that. Right. We hear that about these roughing the passer calls. But, man, you know, Chris Jones has the intent to not you know, land on it. He puts his arm out trying to brace himself a little bit. You know, he's going for the ball, obviously, because he's he strips the ball as soon as he makes contact with Carr. Man, just an overall really, really, uh, you know, annoying play, frustrating play. And, and Andy was obviously frustrated. He stayed after the end of the second quarter to, to, to you know, let the refs know about it. Um, but it does take away, you know, it's unfortunate because it takes away because of, uh, it takes away from Spags's you know, effectiveness on that play. He really dialed it up there. It was actually a four safety set, three down linemen. Karloftis was rushing from the inside. Uh, Jones was on the outside. And it worked. It was a game-changing play. They were going to have the ball inside Raiders territory, down 10. Um, at that moment, I think they or they were down seven at that moment. I think it was 17, 10 at that moment or 17, seven. So they were down 10, excuse me. I'm, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, the morning after, so we're, we're going through it here, but, uh, but no, it's just the pass rush had its moments and, and it sucks that one of its biggest moments got taken away by a dumb penalty. What did you, how did you react to that, that call Sags? Were you hooting yeah. and hollering like the people in Arrowhead? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was really one of the worst calls in, in chief's history. And you can put, put this one right up there with, the forward progress call against uh, Derek Johnson, uh, you know, and there's been some bad ones, but this, this was as bad as any, as I've seen, you know, we could all see and, and everybody in the stadium could see that. First of all, this is what a typical sack has looked like over the last 30 years in the NFL. This, you sack the quarterback, that's what it right. looked like. And even with the heightened focus on these rules, you're right. Jones made an effort to put an arm down, uh, tried not to put his full body weight on, on Carr. There was nothing brutal or vicious about this hit at all. And the fact that, you know, he was Jones was able to pull the ball away from him. That was a turnover. It turned into three points for the for the Raiders and, and kept it as a uh, as a much bigger lead than than it should have been at that point. That was a big call. And if that had cost them the game, if the if the Chiefs had, had come up three points short um, on Monday night, then that would be one of those things that's going to be a, take a long time for, for Chiefs fans to get over. I get over things pretty quick when they win, and I think right. that's probably true for a lot of Chiefs fans, but that was egregious. Yeah, and I think it's the same way with the players, right? You know, Jones had a really elegant um, statement about the, the, the foul in the locker or in the locker room post game. Um, I was really impressed with what he was talking about just in terms of kind of laying it out how, why can't this be reviewable? Why can't they take this to the booth and say, look, you can see him clearly trying to put his arm down. You can see him not forcing the body weight. You can see him, you know, not intentionally trying to slam car into the ground more than he does as a 300 pound person naturally playing the sport of football. So I, I do, I did, I did like how uh, Jones was, you know, pretty uh, common collected about his comments after the game. I think that was a pretty cool move rather than just dogging the refs or saying, Oh, what a blown call. You know, it, it, it you know, I, I wish, you know, just kind of just being more positive than negative, kind of finding talking about a solution rather than the problem. 
Um, so I like that part of it, but it just, it, it really was annoying. Um, and that's not only because I had a player prop that Chris Jones would get a sack last night. Uh, that, that's not the only reason why it was annoying to me, but, uh, no, I, I do think Arrowhead had a right to, to be on Sheffer's throat there. I, and, and Andy did too, but you know, it, it, like you mentioned, man, it, it feels a lot better when they pull out a win. Yeah. Some other things I found interesting in the game, uh, Sky Moore was not involved in the first half, but when the game was on the line, the, the Chiefs showed some trust in him that was maybe a little bit surprising. So not only was he still the punt returner all, all game, they didn't, he only had one chance to return a punt, but at the end of the game on the Raiders' final score, he was the kick returner on that play. And then came right in and, and caught two passes on that, on that final drive for the Chiefs. It was really interesting to see them go to him in such key moments. Again, you, fans would have been worried about Sky Moore as a punt returner just catching the ball a couple of weeks ago, right? <laughs> now they're giving him both the punt and the kick return at the end of the game with a with the game clearly on the line and and receiver duties you know as the featured guy on the final drive where the Chiefs are trying to ice this thing really uh interesting to see him earning seemingly earn the trust of the coaching staff uh at least for that drive I'll be curious to see if that trust continues if this is a trend or if that was just a uh, a strange play call at the end of the game Right. Yeah. I, I did find it strange that, you know, they, they almost forced him the ball at the end of the game um, when they when they really needed that drive to end the game. Right. That was, you, you know, it's it's a really important drive to get move the sticks on that drive. And man, it's just funny that, you know, you don't see him all game and all of a sudden they go to him there. But it does. You're right. It does speak to their confidence that, hey, he's going to catch the ball. He's going to get upfield. He may break some tackles as he gets upfield. And, and, and that is one thing, man. You, you notice that juice, that little bit of a you know, we, we kind of joked about it in training camp. He has those running back legs. Andy Reid talked about it. He does have a little bit of that running back style when he has the ball in his hands. And, you know, maybe that's what they wanted to utilize. And that's in that moment, right? You know, someone that's going to get the most yardage out of his out of the catch um, because maybe they just didn't feel good about, hey, let's just run up the middle three times, right? They're not going to do that. So it was just an extension of, of running the ball there. So so it was yeah. good to see them trust Scott. They had no success trying to run the ball there and, and would have been really nice to have a couple of solid runs to run that clock out, but, you know, Clyde gets tripped up for no gain. Um, and then, you know, and he had, he did have an eight yard run in, on that drive, but for the most part, you know, they, they kept throwing the ball and, and on one hand, you want to see him stay aggressive and, and go for the juggler there, or at least get some additional points on the board so that if the Raiders got the ball back, it wasn't a field goal for the win. Um, but uh it, it didn't play out that way, but it was interesting. I mean, all the passes on that drive were Sky Moore and and that one uh, deep pass incomplete to to uh, McCole Hardman. Yeah, and and so maybe that's a a good place to talk about the game management um, part of this because I do think there was maybe a question, and, and I and I questioned it. Um, you know, Andy not going for that fourth down. Um, you know, obviously near mi- midfield. You know, with roughly what two minutes to go, I want to say uh, two minutes to go in the game, a little more than two minutes. Um, not going for the fourth down, electing to punt, give the Raiders back the ball. And and the key part of this, I think, is that you know it wasn't a field goal to tie. It wasn't that they needed to score a touchdown. A field goal won the game for the Raiders, and Andy put the ball back in their hands without trying the fourth down. I I, I have mixed feelings about this, honestly, because I, I I see kind of both sides of, of the decision. So I'm curious your thoughts when you saw Andy not go for it on fourth down, 
Are you agreeing with it? Are you kind of like, let's trust Mahomes? And, you know, I think that's the easy answer, but what do you think in, th- in that moment? So it was fourth and three at the 46, right? So if you go for it and don't get it, obviously they have the ball at midfield. It, it is a, not a tall task to get into field goal range for, for them at that point. I can see why they did it. Uh, they got the ball down to the seven with the, with a good punt. Um, and so if you can pin them inside the 10 in that situation, I, you know, I definitely feel better about that. I would have liked to have seen them obviously have more success on the offensive drive and not have to worry about that part. But, uh, um, you know, in that moment, yeah, I think I probably would have punted it too, uh, just because, just because of the field position. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, you know, at first I, I, I kind of said, well, look, if a field goal wins it, then you want to be aggressive because you don't want to just give them, you're, you're handing them the opportunity to win it. But at the same time, with how much time was left, they had so much time to operate on that drive. And if you give them the ball at midfield, you know, that gives them just such an easy way to navigate, you know, kind of take their time with the clock, you know, do what they want to do. So I, I think I'm with these stags. I think, I think punting was the right call there, but I don't know. You know, you, you always want to trust Mahomes in those situations. Um, and it's not like the defense yeah. was getting many stops um, necessarily, uh, right. you know, in that moment. So, yeah, you, you can just imagine one deep pass to Devonta Adams, who had it, who Ooh. either is going to make that catch or get a pass interference call uh, based on the way that game had gone. And and you know they've got a, an easy shot to win the game. You know, you look at the end of the first half, and the Chiefs took over with 17 seconds left. And still got into field goal range and 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 made the longest kick in Chiefs history uh, for for uh, Matthew Wright. Uh, really fascinating to see uh, his success on that kick and complete failure on, on the one before it. So um, it is a, a certainly an up and down game for the Chiefs' backup kicker. Uh, hopefully, that is a um, the last uh, the last time the Chiefs have to go with a backup kicker for a while. Well, I mean, that's the, the problem is that if they have to go any further, are they going to cycle through another one? Because, yes, he had the 59 yard field goal, but he, he he misses the one you mentioned. He has the extra point that clanks off the left upright. And then he also misses a field goal late in the game that gets negated by a defensive holding penalty. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is kind of funny. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see if they, you know, if they make another move, are they going to bring in another kicker? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think 59 yard field goal gives you some you know, leeway, but that's not the most important part of, of what they need in a kicker right now. They need a guy to make extra points in, in the chip shots. So yeah, I saw somebody on Twitter say, just let uh, Justin Reed kick the short ones and give right the, the 50 yard plus, um, you know, I, I don't hate that. They're, <laughs> they're, kickers are on the, on the street for a reason, right? I mean, I, I, exactly. I think if you're a really consistent kicker, you probably have a job. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's really just, Let's get Butker's ankle right, and hopefully, I mean, it's been long enough now that unless that was a serious high ankle sprain, that he should be he should be close to being back. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully Butker's back this week. I know we had a question about that. Uh, when will Butker be back? That was from Patrick Mahomes' zone. Um, the hope is this week. I, I had hoped for it last week. I thought there was a decent chance he played. It sounds like when he tried it out in practice, there was more pain. Uh, than than what uh, they were comfortable with, so they rested it an extra week. So, yeah. Um, speaking of others with opportunities late in the game, did you notice who was covering Devonte Adams on the play that really ended the game? The play where he collided with Hunter Renfro, and there was 
uh, a, not a, uh, a chance for them to complete a pass. In press coverage against Devontae Adams with the game on the line, the Chiefs trot out who? Rashad Fenton? <laughs> nope. Jalen Watson? Nope, not him either. <laughs> Fellow rookie Joshua Williams, who hasn't played basically all season, no. gets put in on the best receiver in the league, arguably, in the biggest snap of the game, and said, and they said, go ahead and man him up. And, and something good happened. So is this the first of, uh, of, of many plays that we'll see Williams make in the future? What was he doing in at the end of the game on that play? Good eyes, Tags. I really did not notice this until you mentioned it as we were prepping for the show. Um, I'm, I really want to know. I, I hope someone asks Andy about that this week or Spags about that later this week when we hear from him. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see their mindset there. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Joshua Williams has not played any significant staffs. I think he might have played in the Arizona game late, you know, in that blowout. Um, but what a moment for the rookie. And, and you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, Rashad Fenton, someone that definitely did not have a great game, um, you know, got burned on the, on the first touchdown by Devontae Adams. And, and you know, it's, it's, not some, it's, not, it's, it's something that we've seen throughout this year on Fenton. You know, maybe Spags really just, you know, really did not feel good about leaving Fenton in there on, in that moment. Um, and, and, and maybe that's what you saw from that. So that's why I really want to know the thought process there, because, you know, I imagine we would have known maybe if someone was hurt and that's why Williams was in there. And maybe someone was for one play and it happened to be the most important play. But that is quite the moment to trust Joshua Williams uh, right there. And, and so I'm really curious to see why that was. But but good eye, because if, yeah. if they like that matchup. Why didn't they do that more earlier in the game? You know, I, I think you had to know coming into this game that it was going to be difficult to man up uh, on, you know, Devontae Adams. And this week, the coaches were asked about it, and Spagnuolo specifically said, yeah, Rashad Fenton's going to, get a, going to have a big opportunity here, a big test. We're here to preview the Bills versus the Chiefs, and this has become – a, one of the top modern-day rivalries right now, isn't it? The Bills versus the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs have had the way with the Bills for quite a few times now. And uh, you, you'd think going into this game, the momentum-wise, you'd think the Chiefs, after beating, you know, AFC West teams and, you know, beating their, the Raiders, you'd think they'd be flying high in this game. you think that this is going to be, not a breeze, but something, a foregone conclusion that the Chiefs, are going to chalk up another dub, especially with previous games happening with against the Bills. You just think it's going to be that, don't you? But I feel this is different this year. This Bills team looks very different this year. Is it that different to when they played at Arrowhead in the regular season last year? Uh, I don't know. See, that's the thing. That, that I don't is the think it is test, that different. That's I don't think it is that different. Like, this game could go one or two ways, in yeah. my opinion. Like, the one way I don't expect this game to go is the Chiefs blowing the Bills out. I don't expect no. that. I think the Bills are too good for that. Yes. But it wouldn't surprise me if we had another edition of what happened in January. And it also wouldn't surprise me if we had another edition of what happened last September mm. in our head, where the Bills come into KC and destroyed the Chiefs. It yeah. was, and that's not me saying, oh, the Chiefs are much worse than the Bills. I just think that they are two teams that are excellent and both of them kind of need to be on their top of their game mm. to win. Yeah, And we know with the Chiefs, they can blow 
hot and cold, mm-hmm. where the Bills can blow hot and cold too. But when the Chiefs have been cold this year, they've been really cold. When they've been hot, they've been stifling, like they're sizzling, the sizzling Kansas City Chiefs yeah. when, when they're hot. But right now, you look at the two offences and you look at the two teams, you think, is there much to choose between? I think this game is massive. It's probably the biggest regular season game that Mahomes has played in. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, like, I, I, tr- I'm said. struggling to think. I'm struggling to think of other regular season games that has been this big for Mahomes. Yeah, maybe that Chargers Thursday night football game a few years ago where we lost that was pretty big. Yeah, uh, the, obviously the same season you had the Ravens game against Lamar Jackson the fourth and nine that was pretty big. The Patriots one where we went to Foxborough and our bags were two hours late that one was pretty. <laughs> that was pretty big. But this one, in terms of what it can decide further down the line, in terms of AFC number one seed, then this game is is a monster. And it's probably, you can argue, a must-win for both teams. I think it is, but I don't think it, it'll it I don't think it would decimate the, the rest of the season for them. I think I, don't I think do think it I, I do think, think? losing yeah, I do think losing on on Sunday is extremely damaging for the really? Chiefs. Yeah. Because I think if you look at the the, the way that the AFC's developing, okay, we're only five weeks in. But you can see trends, patterns already. Because yeah. especially when you compare them to last, the previous years, and what we know about teams and how they perform against each other. I would not be surprised if these two are the number one and number two seed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably quite likely that they will be the number one and number two seed. They're both win their division. And if you look at the other division winners or potential division winners, Tennessee Titans, they're not going to get any more than 12 wins. Mm-hmm. The Baltimore Ravens or Cincinnati Bengals, are they going to get any more than 12? Probably not. So the Chiefs and the yeah. Bills, you expect to be in that 12 to 13 range, maybe 14, uh, 14 wins. So it's going to come down to them too, who's going to have home field advantage in throughout January. Mm-hmm. And you, if you're a betting man, you'd say it will come down to this one game because you win this game, you have the head-to-head. You yeah. can af- you can afford um, you can almost afford to lose another game because you know that if you've got a tied record, it won't matter because you beat the Chiefs in January in September or you beat the Bills. So this game is in terms of the season as a whole, it is huge. This week six clash on Sunday afternoon with CBS and Tony Romo and Jim Nance is just a monster of a game. I feel like the previous games that these both teams have played is is going to be something that. Uh, either sets them up for the belief that they're going to be really good or the fact that they are very good, right? What I mean by that is, look back at what, obviously, what the Bills have, the Bills have had uh, a pretty decent, easy-ish kind of run at start for the, you know, for the first five weeks, haven't they, of this season. When you look back, I mean, the first game they played was the Rams and they, they kind of blew them out 31-10. Um, and then they had a, a, a very easy game against the Titans, 41-7. Now, the last couple of games... Oh, sorry. The the two games after that were very, they were quite close. I mean, they lost to the Dolphins. Yes, I'm reading the stat sheet, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they only just navigated the the, the Ravens as well in a very tight tight contest. Um, but I think well, the Chiefs have had a real difficult run in, and they've really had to kind of battle for their for their wins. Apart from the Cardinals game. Yeah, the Cardinals game was very much, you know, that was 
just just prime Chiefs. Yeah. Um, but the last few games have been real kind of hard knock games, and yeah. I feel that that's been that's been building a character in this team, and I think the the Raiders game couldn't have come at a better time before the before the Bills game. I don't know if I buy that. I I do because I think I believe that they they're going to carry that that kind of that that kind of strength and that kind of boost and get, yeah, and but it's energy. also exhausting playing. It games was like exhausting, that. but look at like, the have, you to, have you have you listened to the Kelsey podcast? He said he didn't dance in the end zone because he was so goddamn tired. <laughs> that's why he didn't dance on any of his touchdowns. That's the, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. Oh, it's so, draining and mentally draining as well. It's not just obviously just, physical. I don't but know, like, I, I think, think sometimes in sport, if you come off wins like that, the chances are that you come down from such a high of winning that game mm. that when you go into the next one, to go from, like, a like literally a one-point game in prime time to the biggest game of the season, I'd, I think I'd much rather have been the team that de- destroyed the Pittsburgh Steelers and really? had Case Keenum in at quarterback in the fourth quarter than, like, wouldn't you have not rather seen Chan Hedy on Monday night and just had that Mahomes chilling out? On the sideline, just before playing Josh Allen. Do you know what? I'd love to... that. I, I honestly, I, 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 feel like that's that this game or the Raiders game put the fire in the bellies of them. Yeah, and I believe that Mahomes pissed off. Pat is definitely the 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 thing that we're looking at here. Is yeah, he was pissed in this game. I mean, look look at the look you know look at the arguments he had with Max Crosby. Yeah, he's fired up now. Is Pat Mahomes, and he's 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 at the forefront now as he's top of everybody's list at the moment of being the MVP candidate. And these are the kind of games where he really grinds out and gets the best out of him. And he he, he, yeah. he just has that fire in him. There was there was moments of last season where I felt Mahomes kind of stepped off the gas a little bit and just kind of cruised through some of the games where he needs that fire. He needs that rivalry. He needs that boost. He needs that kind of input and, and connectivity with, with everything around him, obviously his team, but also the fan base and everything. I just feel that this is the kind of game that's dressed up for Pat Mahomes to really, really go for it in the in this Bills game. And okay, on the I flip think... side of that, there is also a chance for Matt, Josh Allen to come out and say, "Right, yeah, doubt me all you want against Mahomes. I, I'm, I'm here." Like, yeah, and he had I don't, an, I don't. Easy I, game against the Steelers. He's, I, he's cruising. In I, I'm not. Road. I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying that Allen is on the same tier as Mahomes. Mahomes is one of one, and. Foul shall never doubt Patrick Mahomes ever again. But <laughs> Josh Allen is still playing on a crazily good level. And you you talk about pissed off Pat, but what about jacked up Josh? Okay. <laughs> he he is he is going to be like so wanting to win this game. We we talked about it in the offseason. The 2019 Chiefs were a team of destiny because of what happened to them in 2018. They yeah. carried that hurt, they carried that pain into the next season and they rolled through that season. Yes, they had some trials and tribulations along the way, yeah. but they used the 2018 season as fuel to be better in 2019 and to go on and win the Super Bowl. And that's, I, I have to believe that's the same way the, the Bills are at the moment. Yeah. Like they, that, I cannot imagine, well, I can imagine because of D Ford, but we all remember that summer of 2019 we all remember it, like waiting for the season to start. And that's what the Bills have just felt for the entire year, basically. Since that third week in January, they have just been thinking about this season, about this game, about mm. this opponent. And so the Bills are going to come into this game 
highly motivated. It doesn't matter what they've done against the Steelers. Yeah. Their motivation is a Lombardi, and they know to get the Lombardi, they have to go through the Kansas City Chiefs. And now I'm not sitting here saying, oh, the Bills are going to win because of this. Mm. But I think in terms of motivation and momentum coming into this game, I think both teams are equally poised and have different reasons to want to win this game, but have just as much motivation as each other to win this game. And that's what makes it such a fascinating uh, tie. It's almost like a game of will. It really is. It's like, it's, you, they talk about intangibles in sport and some people like to say intangibles don't really exist, like momentum and stuff like that. It absolutely does exist. And it's all going to be, it's going to be that type of stuff, like the stuff that Dan Campbell talks about, which his team aren't actually very good at, like grit and that type of thing. (laughs) It's going to be that type of stuff that matters. It's not going to be X's and O's. Yeah, X's and O's obviously have an element because they're the tools that enable you to perform well but this game is just going to come down to mental strength and right now i probably say that the bills hold the upper hand only because they They had easier teams easy victories (laughs) and they're not as exhausted as the chiefs you can say oh well the chiefs hold the upper hand because they beat the bills in the playoffs and Mm. the bills have that mental hurdle to go over but Right now, I know that if it was me and it was my my me going forward, I'd probably want to be the Bills coming off an easy victory as opposed to going through that grind on Monday Night Football. No, I don't know about it. No, I'm 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 completely opposite to you, mate. Clearly, because I I yeah. just want that kind of just completely. Yeah, but it's so hard to carry that through. Oh, after a Raiders game like that, no, I think I think. Something like that would get anybody fired up. I think. Do you think? Do you think the crowd carries that energy into Sunday night? I think they do. I think they do. And that's what I'm saying about the the Raiders game beforehand has been great to get the, the crowd involved in that. I, I don't want to mention that they're like the twelfth man, but they are pretty much like what the twelfth man is, where they've got they've got the back of the Chiefs players, and I think as soon as the game kicks off against the Bills, because of the magnitude and the huge. Um, the huge game, the prospect of what we're going to have in this game, I think that Arrowhead's going to be just as loud in this game because of what happened in the previous game. Like I said, I, I, I think if the Chiefs didn't have this Raiders game at this point and they had just an easy breezy win, I think that the Bills probably would have taken control of this next game because the Chiefs are probably rolling in thinking it's going to be easy. We'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> we'll agree to agree to. So disagree. Let's talk players then. Let's talk players and specific players. Right? Are there any Bills players that you're scared of? Um, besides the obvious, Josh Allen. Uh, yes, uh, I've always I've always liked Diggs, but yeah. after seeing what Davis did in the previous game, yeah, and what he did in January, I think the wide receivers in general. Yeah, I think that that's the and and that's my only worry for this because of the way that Devontae Adams completely destroyed the DBs in this game. Yeah, Trent McDuffie might be back though. Yeah, like I'll be interested to see if Rashad Fenton plays a lot if Trent McDuffie comes back. I, I'm not I'm not overly convinced that that he will do. Um, yeah, Diggs and Davis. Obviously, you've got you've got to be scared of them because of what they've done in the past. And like my my friend said to me yesterday, he says, "Oh." Gabe Davis, should I start him in fantasy on on Sunday? What's he going to be like against your lot? What are the receivers? I was like, start him. Scored, I was like, he scored four touchdowns against us in January. 
<laughs> yeah, play him, yeah. Play him. yeah. Um, so yeah, I am worried about them too, but it, it's the Josh Allen factor that I, I worry about. Um, when when the Bills played the Chiefs in January, you saw a, a mindset switch in the middle of the game from the Bills, yeah, and yeah. they turned turned out to be pretty much unstoppable once they had it. They were pretty conservative in the first half of that game, yeah. if you watch it back. Like, they weren't aggressive. They weren't using Josh Allen's legs as much as they should do. They weren't pushing the ball down the field. But in the second half, they flipped a switch, as the Chiefs did as well, offensively. They flipped a switch as well. But they flipped a switch, and the Chiefs just had no answer for them, their ability to move the ball because they, were, they had the ability to move the ball over the top, down the middle, on the ground with Josh Allen's legs. And I do think that poses a problem. Like I, I think this is going to be a massive game for Nick Bolton, for Willie... And Willie Gay, Willie Gay's not playing. I wish he was, by the way. Uh, for Nick Bolton, uh, Frank, Frank Clark and... Um, George Kalafdis, because somehow you need to keep contain of Josh Allen. And he's a very different runner to the likes of Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. He's not going to beat you with moves. He's just going to power through. But he is such a powerful runner. And he's a big guy. He's, what, six foot six, 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 five, six, six. Mm. He's, a, he's, he's built like a tight end. He's not really built like a quarterback. So when he has the ball in his hands, he's hard to stop. And I feel like the Chiefs need to key in on that on the ground, then defending everything else is going to be so much harder because they, you just know that for them, eating up 10 yards isn't that difficult. They can get 10 yards. They fancy themselves to get 10 yards at any point because of what they can do on the ground with Josh Allen and what they can do over the top with the receivers. I, I think it's such a challenging offense to try and um, to try and game plan for. And st- uh, Spags has his, like, he, he, he's got a job on his hands this week. Yeah, you you've been chattering on social media with with those from upstate New York, and uh, and it's it's finally here. Chiefs Bills, the cream of the crop in the AFC. Not only when you're talking about teams, but also quarterbacks. And, and to be honest with you, Buffalo has gotten better not only on paper, but it seems like in person too. Uh, from from yeah, I mean they're they're loaded. They're loaded on both sides of the ball. There's no doubt about it. You get Von Miller. You got Gabe Davis as your number two now. We saw what he did last week against Pittsburgh. I mean, <laughs> he, yeah. did, he did Minka Fitzpatrick dirty on that one play. But he caught it with one hand, and they were tuggling for the ball. He said, this is mine, little boy. <laughs> he little boy, though. He little boy, one of the best safeties in football. So, I mean, they're stacked, man. You got McKenzie. I like him a lot. He's kind of like their McCole Hartman, if you would. So, yeah, they got a lot of speed. Their offensive line is good. Their defense is good on every level. I like uh, their corners. Even without Trey White, they're still holding it down back there. Obviously, you got uh, you got Poyer. I'm not sure if he's going to play. It's questionable. They, they did lose Micah Hyde, I believe, for the full season. So that definitely hurts. But, I mean, they're stacked, man. They're deep. And there's one underrated thing about them, and we got to be honest. They're kind of in the same position as the Chiefs were the year they won the Super Bowl. That's a good call. That's a good shout. Yeah, when the Chiefs were chasing New England and Tom Brady couldn't get over that hump, they had that chip on their shoulder. That's kind of like the Bills, them chasing the Chiefs, losing to the Chiefs in the playoffs for two years, can't get over that hump. A lot of chatter, about 13 seconds. So, I mean, they're a very, very motivated team. So it's going to be a very, very tough matchup, man. I mean, the Bills are favorite. In Arrowhead, that doesn't happen. So they're favorites for a reason. 
Yeah, you uh, you stole it right out of my out of my script here. Adam Schefter tweets for the first time in his career. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is a home underdog. Mahomes had been favored in his first 41 home starts, including the playoffs, the longest streak to begin a career in the Super Bowl era. That just makes you smile from here. Look at you. You know, he can't even hide it. He can't even hide it. That's a crazy stat, Eric. Come on. That's that's ridiculous, bro. That it, it is absurd, and, it, and it's one of those moments where I tell you Chiefs Kingdom fans and everybody listening to this podcast Eric, and rocking with us. Now, bro. Okay, I, I'll just say take off you Chiefs Kingdom fans. This is what I will, this is what I'll say when I talk about Patrick Mahomes to Chiefs Kingdom. Don't take it for granted. In the same breath, I'll say I'm taking the Buffalo Bills this week. Uh, I think in the trenches, and we talked about this to open the pod, I think when Kansas City is winning the battle of the trenches, they're winning the game most often. And I don't think this is a game, based off what I saw last time out, where you can go down 17 points or you can start slow or you can get beat in the trenches consistently and still find a way to claw yourself into the game. Von Miller has just shown us that he's raised his game to a different level through five weeks. Uh, and the Chiefs offensive line is still at times off schedule uh, and not as consistent as I was hoping. And, and, and you feel better knowing that it's a home game, but uh, on paper right now, and, and I don't make the picks on this pod, that guy does. Uh, I'll, I'll take Buffalo. Yeah, so I'm taking Buffalo as well. Woo! Yeah. I don't know if that surprises you or not. I'm glad we're back on video for this week. <laughs> in, yeah, your, in your in your 15 I mean, jersey, it's, it's one of those weird things, right? Like before the year, I had the Chiefs going 12 and five, but like once we do a week by week thing, and I don't pick the Chiefs, people are like, "Oh, how do you pick against the Chiefs?" Yeah. Well, I didn't pick them to go 17 and 0 before the year, <laughs> so why would I change now? Because we're in season. So this is a game I have marked as L before the year, and there's nothing that I've seen that makes me want to change it. I mean, like you said. Their D-line is vicious. Uh, They're actually one of the best teams. I think they are the best statistically actually against the run. And that's one thing the Chiefs are going to have to do to slow down that pass rush. So it's going to be probably hard sledding running the ball on this football team. And and if that's the case, you're going to be in a lot of third and longs, obvious passing downs where Von Miller can pin his ears back. And they're probably going to put him on Orlando Brown. And we know that he struggles against speedy pass rushers. That's a matchup I'm not looking forward to watching. I'm going to be quite honest with you. So that's going to be tough. And then on the other side of the ball, the Chiefs pass rush isn't getting home enough for me. They're not getting home enough. Quarterbacks are sitting back there very comfortably. And if they're able to run the ball, they don't run the ball much, though. That's one thing I will say for Buffalo. They don't run the ball very much. Their best running game is actually their quarterback. (laughs) But that still is a dynamic that scares me because now you don't have your most athletic linebacker in Willie Gay. Like he is perfect for this matchup because you could you, you could use a spy with Willie Gay on Josh Allen and feel pretty good about it, but he's not there. So who's going to be that guy? So that's going to be a tough matchup. Obviously with the secondary going against Stefan Diggs, the young guys, Fenton, hopefully you get McDuffie back, but it's going to be his first game back. So you can't really expect him to play at a high level in his first game back. He might not even play that many snaps if he does even play. So I'm not really going to bank on that. And then you still got Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, who, I mean, it's just a lot of tough matchups there. So I got to go with Buffalo as much as it pains me. And I would love to be wrong. I, w- I would love to be wrong for the first time in my life. If you had to, and you said, you know, Casey's D-line not getting home enough, two sacks. 
in the win over the Raiders, including the first half a sack of rookie George Karloftis' career. If you had to circle like a matchup um, that really concerned you the most uh, headed into this matchup, is it the trenches? Are we over? Are we over? I guess extending ourselves when we talk about the concerns that we have for Kansas City's offensive line through five weeks, considering they are the league's highest scoring offense and have the most total touchdowns, or is it just a matter of? this game specifically, this matchup specifically, and how these two teams line up against one another? Yeah, the thing is, we know the interior of the Chiefs line to me, is the best in football. Yeah, absolutely. So left to right from Tooney to Humphrey to Trey Smith, who I expect to play. He was a full participant today at practice. But it's the tackles that I'm concerned about, Orlando Brown and Wiley. And that just happens to be where the Bills are at their best <laughs> on their D-line. So that does concern. I don't think we're overstating that concern there. And on the other side, I mean, if you give Josh Allen a lot of time, I mean, you saw Car- Carr was sitting back there patting the ball a lot, bro. If Josh Allen is doing that, who is 10 times better than Derek Carr, has way better arm strength, and you he has a way better rapport with his receivers – with Stefan Diggs, you would think they'd be playing together for years. I mean, they've been together for what two two years now, I think. It's two or three years. So, I mean, that is just very scary, man. And they're gonna take deep shots, they're gonna take shots down the field consistently. I mean, we saw it against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, they had a 90 98 yard touchdown pass. Yeah, for real. I think that was on third down, too. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a natural nightmare, bro. For the Chiefs to win this game, they're gonna have to win the turnover battle. They're going to have to steal extra possessions, get like a strip fumble sack, the interception where you're getting good field position, maybe even a special teams play that kind of alters the game and makes it more balanced. Because if you look at it just matchup on matchup right now, the Bills are a better football team. Now, could that change in January? For sure. But as of right now, I think you would be disingenuous to say if they line up and everything is completely equal, there's no weird stuff that happens, like a three-fumble turnover game. Everything is equal. The Bills are a better team right now. And I just – I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Well, we've both got the Bills winning, but let's take a step back and and, and look at the season as a whole. That would put Kansas City at, what, four and two through six weeks. Um you know, the, the toughest eight game stretch in NFL history. Take a shot if that's on your bingo card while you're listening at home. Uh, where would a loss put you mindset at, as what Kansas City looks like going forward? Or or, or would it really concern you? Or, or is it kind of results based, I guess, if that makes sense? Do they, do they have to go out there and be competitive? Obviously, you don't want to go out there and put out a goose egg. Uh, how would an outcome impact your 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 long season look at KC? I mean, if this is a hard fall game for four quarters and it comes out to the very end, like the last possession in the Chiefs, yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. And I mean, obviously, you want to win the game, clearly. But if it's a nip and tuck game and the Bills squeak away, I come away from that game actually very encouraged, considering that you didn't have Willie Gay, you probably have a limited Trent McDuffie, and so I mean, I would be okay with that. Especially you have a young team. Like, there's a lot of moving parts on this Chiefs team. The Bills should be better right now. They brought everybody back pretty much and added Von Miller. So the Chiefs are relying on three, four, five rookies that are getting significant playing time right now. So at this point in the season, the Bills should be better. Like they should be. Now in January, that can change. As the Chiefs young players develop, get more reps and things of that nature, it could change. So I'm not putting all my eggs in the basket for this game. It doesn't really matter to me that much. Now, what I will say is, though, if the Bills win, 
considering their schedule, they're probably going to be the one seed. But I already came into the season thinking they would already be the one seed, so they'll have the tiebreaker if they win this game. So that's the only thing I would say why this game does hold weight. Because if you can, if you are concerned about the one seed going to Buffalo versus playing in KC for the AFC title game, then sure, this game is a big game in that regard. But honestly, I don't really care about it that much because at some point, Patrick Mahomes will have to play a role playoff game. It hasn't happened yet, but at some point, you you would think, huh? Yeah, I don't think it's gonna go his whole career playing every playoff game in Arrowhead. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's gonna happen, this will be the year for it to happen because the Bills they didn't have to reset; they just added Von Miller. They kept they kept the train going. The Chiefs had a a big reset of their roster this year. So, absolutely, we said I think we said before the year too that the Chiefs go five and two heading into the bye. We would love that. So, if you lose this game. You beat the Niners next week. You got the bye week. You're five and two after the toughest first seven games. Because that eighth game is against Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee is as good as we thought they were before the year. So I'm not really counting that in the first eight anymore. The first seven. Oh, he just you're just chopping them off. You're chopping I mean, the off the internet. They're three and two. <laughs> Look at the teams that they've beaten. I mean, they haven't. Eh, I, I don't believe in Tennessee. I so, kind of think that that's a game Kansas City really wants, considering and then how they played against year, them yeah. last year. That was Absolutely. the worst game in the Mahomes era, like in that, the regular season. For sure. I think that I think that Casey and and they want to win every game, as you mentioned. I yeah, think that's then, one. And then after the bye, you have not only Tennessee, you have Jacksonville back to back, both at home. So theoretically, if you're five and two, you're probably going to be seven and two after that. So I think they're in a great spot, even if they lose this game. In a great spot, even if they lose this game. Let's head down to Vegas, and then we'll take the audience voicemails. We'll also take some some comments, questions. I see y'all rocking with us here on Facebook. Shelly and Richie King have the Chiefs at 13-3. and three, So, I mean, they, they've they already got one loss. Mark thinks maybe they might have another. All right. Um, all right, when the, uh, when the Bills have the ball, this, this is a – this is – this is a team that can score right along with the Chiefs. This is a team that has a ton of weapons, right? It's not just Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Gabe Davis, who Chiefs fans remember, uh, whooped that tail and beat anybody they put in front of them in the AFC um, uh, divisional game. Uh, he was the one that had big numbers, not Diggs, but Diggs is a special receiver as well. We'll see if Dawson Knox goes. I know he missed last week, but he's a pretty good target for them as well. They do a lot of good things. The only thing they don't do well is run the football. Uh, but Josh Allen seems to routinely lead them in rushing yards. To me, in this matchup for the Chiefs defensively, I think Spags is a really, really perfect person to call defense for them. Now, now I expect the Bills to probably put up 30 points. But, man, I mean, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I expect them to put up, you know, good numbers. But... I think Spags is really good at showing different stuff. I think that's the one thing you got to do with Josh. I think you can't just blitz him all the time, right? I know he's not been great against the blitz. He's not Mahomes against the blitz, but you just just like Mahomes, you can't just show Pat the same thing over and over again. They're too talented. They're gonna kill you. And I think, I think Spags has shown to do a good job of mixing to where you're not completely for sure of a tendency of what he's going to do. Sometimes a tendency is I'm going to send the house. I'm going to send everybody. I'm going to walk just to read up there. I'm going to walk uh, 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 Bolden up there. I'm going to walk uh, 
both safeties up there, both linebackers, and I'm going to send everybody and go zero blitz. Or sometimes he's going to sit back like Lovey Smith and just sit back and in that a Tampa two and zone and make you beat you that way. And I think mixing up things for Josh Allen and him and Ken Dorsey, so they don't just get a complete read on everything you're doing is a good tactic because we know it. Like he, he ain't going to sit back and just not get pressure. He'll figure out a way to have to get it. And if he's got to, if he's got to send everybody, he'll eventually do it, but you don't always know what he's going to do. Yeah, I think that what we've seen this year, and you just look at the sack numbers, it it shows you what they're willing to do. Legarius Sneed right now leads the Chiefs with three sacks on the season. Chris Bolton is tied for second with two, along with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and Carlos Dunlap. So, like Chris Jones they, has three sacks. Pro Football Focus has him with two. My apologies. In, no, in my mind, he has three sacks. That was a sack <laughs> was against like, Derek Carr. That was a sack against Derek Carr. So I'm he's always got one more sack. Touche. Well played. Um, it, what what we have seen from them defensively this year is that they are more than happy, and this has been Spags's mo for years now. They're more than happy to bring pressure if they've got to. And against Josh Allen, the reality is you've got to, and that's going to get them beat. And I hope Chiefs fans understand that going in. There are going to be plays where a wide receiver gets open deep, and they have a big strike, where you say to yourself there, yeah. afterwards, "Hey, man." That sucks. And the reason why it happened is because they probably went with a zero blitz. Chances are that's probably going to happen at some point in this game on either a big third or a big fourth down. That's coming. I can tell you that right now. Spags is coming with it. But if it gets home, that could be the play that wins the Chiefs the game. And so that's why I'm with you, Ron, in this game. Legereus Sneed for me is the X factor. I think he's going to be lining up in the slot a whole heck of a lot. And I think you're going to see him rushing the passer a whole heck of a lot. And they're going to have to just play some de- some coverage behind him. But God, when he is rushing the passer, he is so freaking good. And if they are able to get back, and I hope that they can, fingers crossed, Trent McB- McDuffie this week, it frees him up even more. Because for me, Trent McDuffie should be just completely shadowing from start to finish Stephon Diggs. He's the only guy that I trust in the secondary to shadow Stephon Diggs. Do we need to have the Gabe Davis conversation, though? Uh, listen, I'm... I'm- I mean, he's a concern. And, like, when you when you bring up the Gabe Davis thing, he's a concern because the McDuffie thing, boy, right on time, baby. If you can come back and play right on damn time after what we've watched, Mike Williams and Devontae Adams and what these guys have done to them, to their to their corners, like, this, this, this is one that, that makes you – Mike Evans, that makes you nervous a bit. So, if McDuffie is there that, – that's my thought. If McDuffie is there – who do you feel if if Snead is in the slot? Who do you feel most comfortable being on the other side of McDuffie? Because oh two seven, who looking like uh, looking like burnt toast out there? Uh, they're looking. I mean, I mean, looking rough out there. What's my man's name? Who used to do that show with, with uh, Vern and uh, and uh, and and. And Binkley, oh JC Pearson, yeah, he was out there looking like JC Pearson, baby. That's burnt toast all day long. JC, man, you know it, man. You remember them highlights? You remember? You remember all that? <laughs> my my reference point is Eric Warfield, but same, same. all that butter yeah. rolling off. Yeah, Eric Warfield, that works too. Shenard Hart's, yeah, I mean, burnt burnt toast. I mean that 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 was that was two seven. Watson has filled in, and listen, I don't love it either. Like I, you know, I just I I just said, oh, that's that's a it's a wrap. 
whenever Mike Evans was running out there to him. But at least he wasn't as open as Devontae Adams was. I mean, Devontae Adams on fourth and one, and that's what you're talking about. I'm going to send the house, fourth and one, we don't get there, and damn, we got a 15-yard difference between uh, Adams and where where Fenton is. So, uh, to me, Fenton can roll off the field. It to me, it's 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 McDuffie and it's Watson, and I'm gonna take my chances with that. So I agree with you on that. I think Justin Watson probably should be over a shot fan. He's just been so bad this year. But just to illustrate, Gabriel Davis is kind of their Tyreek Hill, like in a way. Whereas like Stefan Diggs is incredible, and Diggs can beat you deep too. Like he's just an incredible all around number one wide receiver. But Gabe Davis, when he is healthy he is their entire deep passing game. Like Diggs is a lot of their accumulator, their chain mover. Like he's just such an incredible route runner. It's just hard to cover him. He can always get open in the, in the intermediate stuff and accumulate stats that way. Gabriel Davis has really only had two healthy games this season. In week one, he had four catches on five targets for 88 yards and a touchdown. And one of them was, and that touchdown was a long touchdown. And then last week we saw, against the against the Steelers he went three catches six targets for 171 yards and two touchdowns of course his yards per reception was 57 yards <laughs> per catch in that game which that's is that's insane that way. and then he missed week two week three and week four he was like limited in practice but they were still trotting him out every week but he was clearly limited in both of those games when he is healthy that dude is one of the scariest deep threats in football right now. Like he, he is that good. He, he should be that concerning for the chiefs defense. And like, we don't have to tell chiefs fans that we, oh, we, we all it. saw they watched it, right? him boat race the hell out of Juan Thornhill and everybody else in the back of that secondary in that game last year. The last time these two teams met, he finished with eight catches for 200 yards and four touchdowns. Like he absolutely cooked them. And so You've got to have some kind of a game plan as to how you're going to take him away. The problem, though, Ron, is I don't think there is a game plan to legitimately take him away. He's going to get his in this game, and it's going to result in a few big plays. What you, you have say, to you do? Mean, you mean him and Diggs are going to get there? Do you think both of them are? They were able to. They were able to calm down Diggs in that game. I See, mean, that's Davis the thing is like crazy. if McDuffie is back, I'm not saying they'll shut him down. Diggs will still. Diggs could easily, like, he could walk into a game on Sunday against anybody, and he's going to get his five for 50. That's, that's going to happen. But well, he did, you... but he didn't do that in the playoff game last year. You're like, right. They were able right. to, they were able to, but the game, did Gabe get 200? <laughs> yeah. Just because every game. possession, they were just going to game. <laughs> I, I was doubling Stefan Diggs there is going to game. It's weird because Diggs is a better wide receiver than Davis. But I have way more confidence because of the personnel that the Chiefs have, potentially with McDuffie coming back, of the Chiefs being able to slow down Diggs than I do of them being able to slow down Davis. Especially given the quarterback that they have, who is a mutant, who throws the ball 75 yards in the air without a problem. So it it just, it fits. And that's why this is such a big issue. And oh, by the way, Gabe Davis is huge. And that's the type of wide receiver body that has given the Chiefs issues so far this year as well. To answer your question directly, we're on what do you do? Who do you put on him? I go to Jalen Watson. And I just I I understand that there's going to be some moments where it looks bad. And I live with it because I also think he's done a pretty good job on some plays of being able to battle, being able to go up and locate the ball. He hasn't come down with it, but he's a guy that can come up with some pass deflections. Meanwhile, 27 looks like he's getting roasted out there every single time that he's in coverage. So I would go Watson, I would put McDuffie on Diggs, and then I would be bringing 
a lot of the time I would be bringing Legereus Sneed on a blitz. And when he's not coming on the blitz, he's if Isaiah McKenzie is able to play, you put him on him. If he's not, then you put him on Shakir. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much zone he plays too. Because I watch you watch the Ravens game. Josh has not completely shaken out that. Hey, let me do something stupid <laughs> out of him. Like he he you know he believes in his arm a lot, and he'll try to fit things in, and he'll still miss some folks out there because the Ravens played a uh, they played around a lot of different things too, and I know they got a pick a pick off of off of him kind of being in confusion on on them being in zone. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. But, yeah, I mean, Rashad fitting on either one of them, it scares the hell. hell is Isaiah McKenzie playing? No, he got hurt, didn't he? I was going to say he uh, broke his leg. He so. might, uh, no, Jameson Crowder broke his leg. But Isaiah Crowder. McKenzie's probably going to be back this week. Yeah, I, shoot, I'm, I'm afraid of Rashad fitting on, on six. Hell, I'm afraid Isaiah of Isaiah McKenzie's a good player too. Khalil yeah, Shakir, a- also a good player. Yeah, they, they've got he's a lot right. of good receivers. M- M- McKenzie's a good player, but he's a, he's a guy that, like, Legereus need in the slot. He should be able to do a pretty good job against him. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back here with another Arrowhead Pride interview series. Very pleased to be joined by the co-host of One Bills Live, the Bills by the Numbers podcast. He's the Bills Insider, Bills TV Network pregame and co-host, Bills Radio Network analyst, Chris Brown. Chris, does anyone in Buffalo have as many Bills titles as you do? Yeah, I don't think so. And uh, you <laughs> might be the first person to have ever run through all of those. But uh, thanks, Pete. I don't, <laughs> first one would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> you need, no, you you deserve proper credit for everything. I know what goes into this. So you you're doing a lot in, in Buffalo. I, I do some similar things in Kansas City. So really, actually good to to have you here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. And man, we have been waiting 
for this game for a long time. I think NFL fans in general have been waiting for this game since the last playoff game, which a lot of people called the best game they ever saw. Some people said that it was the the game of the year. And now we we finally get the rematch on Sunday. And I want to start here with Buffalo because the initial injury report came out. It was quite extensive for the Buffalo Bills. So sometimes those injuries are just there because players are receiving treatment. Others are more serious. Where are the greatest injury concerns for Buffalo entering this game? Um, I think people are wondering what's going to happen with Jordan Phillips. He came back from a hamstring injury that cost him two games last week. And then he pulled up in that game and exited. And the game was already lopsided by that point in time with Pittsburgh. So he just sat the rest of, of the game. And, you know, hamstrings can be tricky uh, if you try to come back from them too early. Yeah. But he's practiced on a limited basis each of the last two days. So it's kind of making us think, well, was it just a twinge? And was it not a full pull of the hamstring again? And he's a pretty important guy on that defensive interior. So, we're just going to have to kind of see how that plays out towards the end of the week here. And then Jordan Poyer missed last week's game mm-hmm. with a rib injury. He's pretty critical on the back end, leading the league in interceptions, and he's missed two games. <laughs> and he's played in three, and he's got four picks. So uh, pretty crazy the start that he's off to this year when he's in the lineup. He's practiced this week, but he's been wearing a red non-contact jersey you know, with a rib injury. That gets, I guess that makes sense. So we'll have to see where that goes. And then Tremaine Edmonds missed last week with a hamstring strain. So how serious is the strain? We don't know. Was it grade one, grade two, grade three? He's back practicing after missing last week's game. So if he's back in the – so if you get Poyer, Edmonds, Phillips all back in the lineup again this week, I mean, that's right down the middle of the defense there that would be pretty good. But I know the injury list looks long to you, Pete. It's not. It's not as long as it was two weeks ago. They played without like nine starters Mm -hmm. against Miami in 95-degree heat, and then they were dropping like flies through the course of the game. I mean, they had practice squad guys at starting roles by the end of that game. It was insane. So where they are now compared to where they were is actually better, if you can believe it. The name that stands out from afar on that list that you provided is Poyer, you know, from afar, he just seems like such a gamer. And and I got to imagine being around this team, being around him in particular, he does not want to miss Bill's chiefs at Arrowhead stadium. Yeah. I mean, he, he wants to play. I think a lot yeah. of times this medical staff and athletic training staff has to protect the players from themselves very often. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. We'll have to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know he wants to play in the game, especially how the one ended last year. You know, he's been around long enough for all of those Chiefs playoff exits. Um, so, yeah, I would I would assume he desperately wants to play in this one. But, again, they usually do not let players talk them into putting them on the field. They do what's best for the player, no matter how grumpy they are about not suiting up. Right, right. And that, of course, is the right thing to do. So you talked about the playoff exit. We don't have to get into that game. It's over with now, and I think it is eyes ahead, even for people in Kansas City with this Chiefs-Bills game coming up on Sunday. But I do want to ask you, when you look at that team that lost in the playoffs to the Chiefs and you look at this year's team, what to you stands out as the biggest difference? I would say that Buffalo's defensive line is dramatically better than it was last year. And it's not just Von Miller. The Bills went out in free agency and they said goodbye to Starla Tulele. They let Harrison Phillips walk. They let Vernon Butler walk. 
and they upgraded in every way possible. And everybody was all jacked up about Von Miller, and I understand why. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's an alpha male as a pass rusher on your defense. But the, what got me more excited about this defense than that was the signing of getting Jordan Phillips back, who the last time he was in a Bills uniform had nine and a half sacks, and is a Kansas guy, by the way. Then you had um, Tim Settle, who was underutilized in Washington because they chose to play their first-round draft choices, even though in limited time, Settle was pretty dang productive for them as a rotational defensive player. And then Daquan Jones, who has been a revelation for their run defense. Uh, these three guys are bigger, stronger, and more athletic than anybody they had on their defensive interior, with the exception of Ed Oliver, who also is still part of the mix here. Those four guys, when they are rotating through and healthy, you get what we saw in week one at Los Angeles in the kickoff game when they had seven sacks and I think it was 14 quarterback hits. So 21 of Matthew Stafford's 42 dropbacks, he was getting hit by this defensive line. And it's those four guys on the interior and the young pass rushers on the outside with Miller. When this group is healthy, they change the face of the defense, which historically has been more predicated on those guys on the back end. The foundation of this team, when McDermott built it from the ground up, was in the secondary. Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and then whoever they had on the other side. It has changed over the years. And then Taron Johnson in the slot. Now it is those guys up front. They are the headline grabber on this defensive unit. Yeah, and it, it is good news for Kansas City. They did not have starting right guard Trey Smith last game, but he did practice fully on Wednesday, so we'll see about Trey Smith. If Smith can't go with that pectoral injury, it'll be Nick Allegretti. We did see some struggles with the Raiders early on, and so as you hear Chris talking, it's going to be imperative that Smith is back in the lineup. I was talking with someone in Buffalo this week, and they told me uh, on the offensive side of the ball, it, it seems like the Bills are able to put together a really nice initial drive. And then sometimes it it tapers off a little bit before they sort of figure it out things later in the game. Do you agree with that point? And, and if so, is there any rhyme or reason for that? Or is it just one of those those things that happens sometimes that that's a weird trend in football? Yeah, I think it could be rooted in. You know, Ken Dorsey being a new offensive coordinator, new play caller, it's on him now to make the adjustments in game and get the offense clicking again. And through those first couple of weeks, there would be a little bit of a lull and then they'd be back on track and going again. Mm. And I think as we got into week four and week five, Dorsey kind of found his groove with that and had answers seemingly at the ready and quicker than he had in weeks one, two, and three, where there was, you know, a possession that didn't look very great, a three and out, for example, something like that. And it looked like he kind of wiped the slate clean on that and is finding his answers faster. So much like, you know, the Chiefs offense kind of had to get up to speed with all their new parts that they have there at the skill positions. I think Ken Dorsey has kind of found his groove as well in terms of how to work his way play calling wise through a game, even when an opposing defense throws him a curveball. 
Speaking of the offense and the progress through these first couple weeks, we all know about Stefan Diggs and Chiefs fans happen to know about Gabe Davis, but it seems like he's really beginning to take off. All fantasy football players saw the 98 yard touchdown ended up finishing that Chiefs, or I should say that Steelers game, a 38 to three win, three receptions for 171 yards. Yeah. Are we at the point and, and is it the feeling in Buffalo that Gabe Davis is entering what would be the elite of wide receivers in the NFL? I think a lot of people have forecast that for him for a long time. I mean, I know Chiefs fans probably don't know the Gabe Davis history as well as Buffalo fans do, right. but he came in as a rookie fourth round draft choice. And Brian Dable, who was the coordinator at the time, basically said, this kid is quick as a whip, like in terms of football IQ. And he's big, he's strong, he wins contested balls. He immediately, as a rookie, made him the fourth receiver on the depth chart behind the three that are usually out there and had him responsible for backing up all three positions. So if Cole Beasley or John Brown or Stefan Diggs in mm -hmm. 2020 went down with an injury, he was the first guy in, and he had no problem having full faith that he was going to be, execute, be able to execute whatever the responsibility is of any one of those three positions in the scope of the offense was. That's a lot to put on a rookie's plate. And he did that, and he didn't miss a beat when he had to step in for any one of those guys. And in 2020, he got some time on the field. The kid had seven touchdowns on 35 receptions as a rookie, <laughs> and he dropped three more. So he could have had 10 touchdowns as a rookie in limited action. Now, right. that was partly because he was an afterthought when you had Diggs and John Brown and Cole Beasley running around on the field. So I get it. But he was winning his one-on-ones consistently, and he's just had to kind of wait his turn. And Emmanuel Sanders came in here last year and kind of compromised him taking that next step up. But now with Sanders gone, Beasley out the door, he is the unquestioned number two, and he's living up to the billing. Yeah, Davis is, is certainly someone this Chiefs secondary is going to have to pay attention attention to on, on Sunday. I think as – Fans of other NFL teams that are not the Chiefs and the Bills watch this game on Sunday. They will be looking at this quarterback matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I think for a long time we've been wondering, and it's always the talking head question like, all right, what's going to be the next Patriots, Colts, Brady, Manning type no. of rivalry in the NFL? On the Buffalo side, do you guys really feel like this Mahomes and Chiefs and Allen and Bills rivalry is that next rivalry. Do you feel that way as well? Yes, without question. Um, these two guys are going to be going at each other for probably the better part of the next 10 years. And unless both of these organizations forget how to draft good players, it's going to continue. Um, you know, I, Brady, Brady Manning is – something that has been mentioned through the course of this week on, on my show with Steve Tasker and elsewhere, because I think people see where it's going. And I think the reason why more than anything, Pete, is because the AFC was at the beginning of the year supposed to be perceived as this juggernaut, mm -hmm. super deep, like every man for himself conference with all these quarterbacks coming into the AFC, whether it was Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson, they're all leaving the NFC, joining what is already a chock-full group of quality quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland, the whole thing. And here we are in week six, and 
you know, is it early still? Sure. But I think most people would agree it's the Chiefs and Bills and everybody else. And some of those everybody else's have been even more disappointing than anticipated. The Broncos among them. So I, I think because of that, people are like, oh, geez, it doesn't matter what all these other AFC teams do. <laughs> Mahomes and Allen are the class of the conference, and it's going to be this way for a while until some other young buck steps up and says, hey, I'm part of the conversation too. And maybe it is Deshaun Watson you right. know, as a reclamation project when he comes back if Cleveland can tread water until week 12. But for now, yeah, I mean, it's Mahomes, Allen, and everybody else. I think you're right. The amount of disappointing teams in the AFC, just as far as, as hype with Broncos and Chargers and, and the Colts and even the Bengals who were just in the Super Bowl. I, we, we weren't sure if it was a coming out party for the Bengals or this one hit wonder. And it seems like it's more one hit wonder right now that the Ravens are interesting. We'll see if they can. I think they'll, they'll, be, some, they'll be around at the end of the year. The they'll Ravens, make, yeah, yeah, they'll make some noise. All right. Let's put you on the spot a little bit here. What do you see in this game? What is your game prediction as the Bills? I believe I don't think it's changed. They've been, they're entering as two and a half point favorites um, heading into Arrowhead Stadium. How do you feel this game goes? Yeah, I, I think the real difference here is Buffalo's defense. It's a top flight defense, has been for the last three years. And as I said earlier, their defensive front is it's so much better than it's been the last couple of years that it's winning them football games. Like, as you referenced earlier, when the offense kind of stubs its toe a little bit or has a lull in years past, sometimes that would put them behind on the scoreboard when they're going against an elite quarterback like a Mahomes or somebody like that. This defense keeps them in it now. They just lock it down and stop people. And I was, I was telling my broadcast partner, Steve Tasker, I said, really, all the Bills defense has to do in this game is get three punts, maybe four, out of that Chiefs offense, and they can win the football game. Like, I don't even know if they have to turn it over. If they can just get punts via or turnovers via the punt and force it, which I know is a tall task. I mean, the Chiefs don't punt more than two, three times a game anyway, if that. So is the defense up to the task to do that? If they are, I, I think the Bills offense can do what they want to do and be as successful as they want to be against the Chiefs defense that feels like, especially on the back end, they're still kind of finding their way a little bit with the young corners. You know, you don't have Sorensen or Matthew anymore. Right. And I, I think they're still trying to figure out those roles. I mean, I know Thornhill's been there and he's played for them too, but I just feel like all the Ducks may not be in a row and operating at peak efficiency for the Chiefs yet defensively. For the Bills, they are. So to me, that's the difference here. So I, I think the Bills can can squeak this one out by three or four points. All right. Well, that is the score prediction for what they're calling the game of the year. Uh, Bills and Chiefs <laughs> coming at you. Let's hope Sunday. it's not disappointing, right? No, I, can't I know. Like, hope, it's not going to be anything like Commander's Bears on Thursday <laughs> Hopefully it lives up to, to the billing here, but he is the co-host of One Bills Live, Bills Insider, Chris Brown. Chris, thank you for, for providing some insight here as we enter this very exciting weekend in, in Kansas City. Good to be with you, Pete. Again, it's Chiefs and Bills, 3.25 p.m. on Sunday. Keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com, the Arrowhead Pride podcast network for all your Chiefs news as we enter this game. My name is Pete Sweeney. Thank you for once again joining us on the Arrowhead Pride interview series. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. 
Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.